Welcome to the Take It EV podcast. I'm your host, Greg, and today we've got an interview with James from EVA England. We're going to be talking about the new regulations in the UK uh, and, you know, generally about the um, what uh, folks at EVA England do. But um, that doesn't mean that, you know, if you're from outside of the UK, there's nothing interesting in there for you. Uh, I think everyone's curious about what's going on in the world of EVs and how governments adjust to the, the new world. So we're discussing the public charge point regulations of 2023. Uh, there's links in the doo so check them out. If you're in England, you should be supporting EVA England. Even if you're a member of other groups, just, just seriously, they need your help. And they do good stuff. I'm James Court, and I'm Chief Executive of the EVA, the Drivers Association in England. Welcome to Take It EV. It's great to be here again. So you're not stressed at all? No, no, not at all. It's all good. It's all good. Um, it's been a, it, yeah, it's been a really good, good month, actually, sort of in the height of the huge lash sort of kick or sort of coordinated attack from the antis. It's actually been on the one hand nice that we can fight back and sort of find a voice and sort of do the, some of the rebuttal stuff that I think our members want us to do which is great but obviously it's that classic thing I wish we didn't have to do it in the way it's being done but that's you got to uh it's, yeah you got to got to play the cards that have been dealt so how how long has so it's uh what day is it today it's thursday the 13th of july um and obviously, a couple of days ago, the news kind of broke out that the um, uh, that the new public charge point regulation 2023 is is going to be out soon, or is out. Um, you know, uh, the actual regulation is out. Uh, when does it come into play? What role that did AVA England play in it? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's we've sort of been taken aback by the response to it because um, it's obviously something that we've been working on now for god two years since sort of predated me coming and sort of took over the campaign um and we've seen these things coming down the line and all of it looked exciting and i keep on trying to get people to be excited about it but i guess sort of <laughs> the uh, charge point consumer experience consultation probably doesn't get people uh, hugely excited. And then obviously this is a statutory instrument and you know, none of these words are particularly sexy, but we've seen sort of a lot of work that I was ever been doing and trying to influence it. And I think trying to also put a bulwark and really trying to say, no, this is a good thing. Like writing to ministers and say, don't lose your nerve on this. What you're doing is a really, really good thing. Uh, and there were obviously pushbacks from from various groups, and it is just it's when a, when when the government does something good, it can occasionally take you by surprise. And I think some of our job was just continuing to give them the confidence to do it. So sort of writing to ministers and meeting with civil servants and just like no, keep going, keep going. Um, and I think until we eventually saw the regulations laid there's always a risk that there's going to be something there's going to be some sort of sliding back some sort of slipping um but that doesn't that hasn't happened this is a, a slightly arcane parliamentary process even more arcane than usual um 
it's secondary legislation, which means that it goes to the House, it sort of sits in an imaginary box for a while, uh, and unless there's significant pushback from MPs, which never happens, sort of once in a 20-year cycle, does a statutory instrument get overturned? Um, and this certainly isn't anywhere near as contentious. So yeah, we don't anticipate any problems. So it should be regulations in 20 days or 20 working, or you know, 20 parliamentary days. Uh, and then for a lot of this stuff, you'll already, you've, you've probably already seen some improvements as companies knew that it's going down the line. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's sort of between the various things. Uh, they've got two years to try and find roaming clubs. They've got one year to make the improvements in the uh, contactless and the price transparency. And then they've got uh, they've got a first report on the data and make that open in the next uh, two years. So hopefully we'll see some huge improvements uh, over the next yeah one to two years. So uh, we, I mean, because we we just started talking about it, assuming that everybody's going to know what we've been talking about. Yeah. So basically, uh, let me let me give a, a quick intro. I mean, you you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but basically, um, we have this you know public charge point regulation of 2023 that lays out um, how charging points are going to be shared or, or used by the public or what is the sort of, you know, what is the minimum standard for them to be used? So, you yep. know, contactors everywhere, 99% uptime, 24-7 um, yep. uh, helplines. Um, it's all the charges 8 kilowatts or above, which is yep. a bit strange, but suppose that um you know that's going to lead to another another bunch of questions yeah we can get we can get to the eight kilowatt one because it's, it's interesting i mean just to, to try and package what we've got now and what's going through sort of better reliability uh, clearer pricing structures easier payments and open data which for me is going to be i think can be the real sort of revelation in this as even the best mapping tools have still only got sort of 70 80 percent coverage annual they're, they're quite clearly not up to date and sort of uh, they're not always accurate so i think the open data side of it hopefully should really make sure that if you go to a charger you know that it is working and that's a huge improvement i think when i do long journeys and i say this to people is like they're actually we do have enough chargers for what we currently have um it's just you get bad experiences if you turn up to one that's not working and that's the problem is that you can't guarantee that that charger you think is going to be there is actually going to be there. Um, and that does huge damage to public confidence. And then there's a whole other bunch of stuff when it comes to the innovation side of it. I think we saw the innovations uh, when TfL opened up their data on buses and tubes and all of that. And just the explosion of sort of the third party applications on your phone and people coming up with smart and interesting ways to use data. Uh, as I said, if I was in any way, shape or form entrepreneurial and wanted to earn lots of money, um, certainly trying to do clever things with this data in what is going to be a huge growing uh, market would be where I'd put my time and attention. I'm sure, uh, you know, companies like ZapMap and PlugShare are already uh, uh, already busy at work. Um, and yeah, open data, like you say, is a, is a big thing because it allows people to create services an integration like you know into google maps apple maps whatever um i mean the goal is that everybody like trying to get everybody to have the tesla driving experience where it's sort of it, it does all the thinking for you 
And that's got to be the goal ultimately. I mean, this is what makes of the EV driving probably for me is one of those areas that we can get better than petrol and diesel. Is that just you can get your car to be so intuitive that you don't even have to think about these things? It's just part of the it's it's part of the software um, that your car has, and this could lead the way for even poor little Kia owners like me to get the Tesla experience when it comes to driving uh, and charging. I mean, nothing wrong with a Kia. I'm driving a Kia as well, so. I love it. I've got to be honest. The only if I could get if I could get any other car, I would just get the one model up of the one I currently have, which is quite a boring answer. But yeah, it'd be nice to have preconditioning. I've got the bottom of the range Kia, which is still great. But yeah, it'd be nice on hot and cold days to walk into a perfect car. I had a quick skim through the you know articles. I'm not a lawyer, so it's all it all sounds very strange to me when I read it. Obviously, um, but first question that come, came to my mind, and I haven't had anybody. I skimmed the the Twitters and and intraweb's uh, for all the possible uh, questions that people had, and oddly enough, I haven't seen anybody um, poo pooing on the uh, on the on the uh, legislation on on Twitters. Maybe I'm in the wrong Twitter, uh, but you know, I haven't seen anything bad being said. No, not on. Not I, yeah, not on. And I suppose there's two sides, isn't there? There's the anti-EV people and then there's the EV people that want to see sort of faster action on it. I haven't seen, I mean, even if you're anti-EVs, how can you possibly, (laughs) unless you've got a real sort of, yeah, you're you're sort of vindictive, why would you campaign against this? Uh, And I think from the EV sort of driver's point, people will be wanting to see more action on things like VAT uh, and sort of quicker motorway, and so more, more motorway service uh, stations having more charges all of that is obviously needed but that this these regulations were never going to touch that so no i think they've been really warmly welcomed is there anything in this legislation that um would fix the the bigger the, the most asked question that i have from non-ev drivers who are my passengers on the trips which is why is no like how do i find these charges without having any apps is is there any going to be any you know signs Pointing to a charger, like I would, I would love to see a sign saying, "There's a charger in this hotel," um, or something like, "This charger is busy, but the next one's ten miles away." Just keep driving. Yeah, I mean that is a real frustration, and I've seen some sort of motorway service stations starting to have um, information on what charger they've got and how many are free. Um, it's going to be that that we could regulate on it. My hope is that people who have installed them will want be wanting to advertise that they've got them. But it is a frustration if you haven't got mapping apps. And also, if you're driving on your own, you know you don't always want to be typing this stuff in. I have you know, a couple of times driven into a service station thinking it was going to have a charger, uh, and it doesn't, and that sort of takes you by surprise a little bit. Uh, but no, there's no regulations on enforcing signage. But it's something that I hope the industry, and obviously there's a new industry um, body, Charge UK, it's got to be, these are things that I hope that they can either be doing and sorting out uh, sort of internally and getting that experience much better. Okay. I I thought I missed it, but, you know, because it it seems like like an obvious thing to me. Not not that I'm I'm not trying to be negative about the whole thing, because it's obviously amazing that, you know, the whole thing is in place, um, the whole regulation. But I, again, skimming through it very quickly, I didn't see anything. No, I didn't, and it's even more, and like even and this is where I think 
people are missing a trick as well. Even going into the car park, and I'm, I'm sure you and everybody listening has done this, you've driven in, you know there are parking spaces, you know there are charging spaces there, but it's not immediately clear where in this huge car park the charging spaces are. So even having yeah. sort of simple things like a sign a couple of metres high saying electric charging, because uh, that can be a frustration, you're sort of circling around the car park. So, yeah, yeah. A, a, a lot of this stuff. I mean, it is a very, it's still quite a young industry, but there are some low-hanging fruit that I'd hope the industry and uh yeah the, the cpos chargeboard operators can start doing themselves yeah i mean when, when you drive ev for a, for a few years you get a like a sixth sense when you when you get in a car park you, you kind of know where the chargers might be um so i haven't developed that sixth sense no, yet damn I, it i find myself kind of looking in spots like right in the front uh to the left or right of the of the entrance or way in the back is usually like where i look <laughs> that's true yeah, <laughs> yeah. very true uh but yeah, I've been driving EVs for you know, since 2015, so you know it's it's been a I, I've had a chance to, to develop the sixth sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so let's let's get into the, the 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 questions that I've heard the most. And you know, to, in all fairness, you and Warren and some other people uh, from EVA have responded to loads of them. But uh, uh, maybe others have questions and they haven't actually seen the the, the responses the responses. So the uh, this legislation applies to all chargers. Eight kilowatts and above, which yeah. presumably is on purpose, kind of leaving out the destination chargers. Why is that? Um, so there's a bit of history to this as well. Is that originally it was actually going to be seven uh, kilowatts, and that was just on the edge for a lot of destination chargers and some lamppost chargers. So it's got bumped up to eight. It's an imperfect sort of solution. Uh, but it covers up most of some of the discrepancies. And again, you are going to have things like three phase of 11 kilowatts and all of this sort of, yeah. there are there are challenges around it and there could have been other ways to do it. But the government sort of, a lot of their legislation was based around kilowatt sort of uh, bandings. So yeah, imperfect. Um, there was going to be another consultation. And then in fact, there still may be of uh, under eight kilowatts. But we sort of took the the decision that whilst it would be fantastic if everything had um if everything had contactless um just the cost of doing it actually runs against the quicker sort of rollout especially of lamppost charges which are pretty sort of cheap and cheerful things around 600 to 800 pounds to install one and you're sort of hearing that that could you know it could add an extra 50 50 percent 100 percent in some cases if they needed to have the contactless and sort of more maintenance on an ongoing basis so we thought on the balance of it over the ease of using contactless versus uh the need for getting more out there on that especially that most lampposts and destination charges are done by residential people who already have the app and are familiar with it. So the chances of people getting lost trying to find their way to a three or five kilowatt lamppost charger um, and not being able to pay, we thought was reasonably low. So worth it. Yeah, yeah. And like I say, most of, most of them are going to be used by residents. And anytime I'm in London and I see one, I'm tempted to use it and I've got the app, but let's be honest if you're in london there's, pl there's plenty of uh, rapids as well so yeah i wouldn't recommend it either i mean most of them i think my lamppost charger trickles out at like two two point something kilowatts okay. which is perfect for me most of london's residential parking anyway so yeah i don't think there's a lot of people that are popping up for a quick oh two kilowatt boost that's gonna be uh <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be helpful yeah that's true um the second most asked question that i've seen is but what about vat um 
because there is currently VAT on rapid charging, right? On the uh, on. Yeah, and that's part of a much wider campaign, which um, obviously Quinton and uh, Fair Charge are doing. That, I mean, that is their sort of raison d'etre. That is their campaign. Uh, we support it completely. It makes a lot of sense to us. And if you're somebody like me that relies on public charging, uh, it would be a way of, uh, I suppose, levelling up some of the costs. It's always going to be cheaper to charge if you've got a driveway, and especially if you've got all the kit and solar panels and stuff that goes behind it. It's very hard to see how there's ever going to be genuine parity between people that rely on public charging and people that have got their own driveways. But this is a this is a simple way of doing it. Um, obviously, Treasury always have reservations about cutting VAT, whether or not uh, charge point operators are going to be passing it on. Uh, and it's a difficult thing to try and tie up in a bow. Um, you know, having faith, having good faith in the charge book operators, I hope that if they do get this cut, they would pass it on. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, like I say, it's 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 a budgetary thing rather than uh, a regulatory thing. Regulatory yeah. thing. So yeah, that's probably why. But it's a question that everybody's asking, and it's, it's I think it's a fair question. And like I say, Quinton Wilson and Fair Charge UK have obviously been campaigning about this for like well, as long as I remember. <laughs> so um, and. Because uh, the other the other question that I got asked is, um, is this going to apply to the entire UK or just to Great Britain or just England? So it's across all four four countries. Okay, okay, okay. So not just England, basically. Because um, yeah. I mean, is it worth saying that the um, Scottish government, with the whole um, charge place Scotland, had something similar in place years ago? Or you know, they obviously have their own regulation. That uh, mandates that all the charging point points in Scotland have to be kind of available under the same uh, scheme, right? Uh, I'm not. I, I don't know exactly. Yeah, what... I, I'm actually. I don't know about that. I'm actually going up to Edinburgh, uh, so Aberdeen, sorry, um, this weekend. But I'm not a frequent traveller to Scotland, and we have our sister group, uh, the EVA Scotland, who will probably be able to answer what it was before. Yeah. Um, and I know there's lots of changes going on in the Scottish sort of charging uh, world. Editing Greg here. I have posed this question to somebody we shall refer to as an CPS insider. Here's the response. It originally started as a way for Transport Scotland to facilitate EV uptake by providing a network of centrally funded uh, chargers operated at arm's length by a subcontractor. A follow-on from Plugged In Places. The CPS brand is still owned by the Transport Scotland, but none of the charges are. Each is the responsibility of its respective host. As part of the agreement to receive grant funding for charges, hosts had to sign up with CPS so that the nationwide network could grow. In early days, that also meant providing free electricity, but that's lapsed. As charges aged and re- get replaced, owners are allowed to m- migrate to other CPOs if they like. East Lothian uh, Council is a good example. They have agreements with CPS and uh, Charge.gy, Connected Curb, and others to operate their own regional infrastructure. End of quote. So, I just mean, I, th- I think this means basically that, yes, uh, this stuff still applies to Scotland. And I was wrong kind of asking this question, obviously. I didn't know exactly. Uh, 
how the you know uh, Church Play Scotland operates. Even though I had guests in the past who do stuff uh, as as part of the CPS, um, we didn't go into like you know law and agreements with the Scottish government. And perhaps I should have. Nobody emailed me, by the way. If you have any other questions or comments, just always email me, takeitev at gmail.com. And now back to the interview with James. I think uh, um, being able to use contactless instead of having to apply and get a Charge Play Scotland card, I think is, is an improvement overall anyway. Um, right. Uh, so, yeah, speaking of the 8 kilowatts, the... Uh, so if if a post has eleven or twenty two kilowatts um, supply, does that mean that it 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 is then under this uh, regulation? Yeah. And yeah, are we at risk of having charge point operators with destination charges that are you know above eight kilowatts but below twenty three or twenty four or whatever, um, turning off the the three phase just to kind of escape the regulations? You know, because I I know famously. Um, Podpoint, for instance, they they build their chargers to be cheap to install, so they don't have any provisions for contactless, for instance. But some of them are twenty-two kilowatts. Um, so I do wonder what's going to happen. Obviously, that's a question for for them. But um, do you have any? Have you heard anything uh, about it? Uh, any? As I said, the, the eight kilowatt was it was a niggly issue, um, and they knew what they wanted to include, but it was hard to sort of. Uh, or sorry, they knew what they wanted to exclude, but unfortunately, some of the terminology was, was sort of overlapping and things that they didn't want to include. It's definitely that one bit is a little bit imperfect, but it was it, it was hard to see how to do it in regulation otherwise. So I hope there aren't going to be unintended consequences of that. Um, but yeah, it, it, I know there are companies that are concerned about that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I, I mean. I hope you know companies like Potpoint and and probably some others obviously have good intentions, but um, we'll see what happens. Um, so the, the, there is a I don't have that page open in front of me, but there's a wording in the in the regulation that basically states that um, uh, this only applies to charging points that are open to the public and yeah. open to all uh, car brands or whatever. Like I'm, what I'm trying to say is basically what hap- what about Tesla? Because obviously. You know, technically, superchargers are only for Tesla owners, at least in the UK and Europe. Obviously, it's, this is going to change in the US uh, with the whole uh, uh, North American charging standards uh, uh, stuff. But we're not talking about uh, North America. Uh, the uh, you know, uh, Tesla has obviously famously opened some of the superchargers to uh, non non Tesla drivers, um, but they could always say. You know, with this regulation, actually, we're going to turn that off because we just want to restrict this to to Tesla owners. Um, yeah, I mean, they could do it. So it, it's worth saying that only the point, only the, the the sites that they have opened up to the public uh, under these regulations, and the vast majority of Tesla char- Tesla charges, obviously, they are a private network. So this these regulations don't impact them at all. Um, Tesla have said that they want to open up all of their network um so they would have to comply with it when they do that uh, but again it's and we've had meetings with ozev on this there are lots of little um 
it, it's there are some exemptions that you look at and it's really hard to judge whether or not so is a church group that allows their sort of congregation to use it is that public there is some legal legalese under it uh, so hopefully again it's one of those areas where there isn't any unintended consequences i think if we find that certain groups or have it's it would be a not not easy, but it certainly wouldn't be very difficult to amend this statutory instrument if we did see things like that. If there were groups that are suddenly find themselves in it, or the interpretation of it, uh, certain groups are finding themselves in it, uh, that you could amend an SI. It's it's not it's neither easy nor is it hard, but it can be done if it's if it's a significant issue. And again, with Tesla, their their route is definitely trying to open up more charge points and trying to get the charge points to compete. Um, so they'll have to they'll have to adhere to that when they do it. Yeah. But again, some people may you know a lot of Tesla drivers will still and and a lot of drivers may still want to use the Tesla interface. The user experience on their apps are pretty good. Um, so yeah, it might, it, it gives people the option, hopefully get down the line. But at the moment, I always think, is that, I, I thought there was like 14 sites that are opened, but I think somebody corrected me and said there's 21 now, but they'll uh, be part of this. I, I, I really don't know. Cause it, I think it changes. They, 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 they try to open more, but, um, I don't know how they, how they, you know, pick those points. Uh, I, I know there's more in Europe. Uh, I've been personally lobbying Tesla to try and open up more on my regular journey down to Devon. Um, they, they, there aren't any Tesla charging sites on either the A303 or M4 and M5. So yeah, my personal non-EVA lobbying to Tesla will be to, can you open up some of these uh, charging sites on uh, my route back home? <laughs> Have you tried talking to Elon? No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll DM him. Uh, I'm on threads. Is he on threads yet? I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> uh, but so actually, speaking of Tesla, obviously Tesla owners uh, enjoy the sort of the plug plug and charge, you know, experience. Does this regulation include any provisions for that? Because you know, contactless is all nice and great, but wouldn't it be even better if you could just plug in your car and kind of walk away? And yeah, no, there's nothing on that, and that would be a difficult. I think that's high. That's a high hurdle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, but this is again. But this, these are some of the areas where that that open data could try and develop things like that. And I think it gives, hopefully, again, entrepreneurial people the opportunity potentially to reserve and book could be a lot easier with this. And there could be some there could be business opportunities for people that are wanting to do it to try and work with CPOs to try and come up with a booking and reservation system. Um, who knows? This is one of those areas where I'm hoping a, you know a thousand flowers bloom. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I like again. I haven't seen anything about this, so that's why I thought I'll ask. Uh, but it, there always has to be room for future improvements, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, this is one of those things. Um, another question that I've seen from from loads of people is asking, you know, how is this going to be policed? Um, what are the penalties if CPOs don't adhere? I know there's a section in the regulation. Let me let flick just... to these. Let me flip to that section. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's it's ten grand a charger um, that isn't compliant, uh, and I think the rate it goes up to two hundred and fifty grand for serious breaches. Um, the enforcement body. I think it's also important that, especially when it comes to the reliability. An awful lot of the newest actors are already at 97, 98, 99%. Um, 
And we wouldn't want to see gaming of the system or trying, sort of, again, going back to that classic thing, unintended consequences, which is always the issue when it comes to legislation. The 99% target should not be there to discourage people if they're doing a good job. I think it's something that hopefully will raise the bar on the providers that are already doing a good service without sort of being so onerous uh, and penal that it disencourages. Uh, but w- we know that there are some charge point operators out there that are running down at sort of 75%, 85%, and that really isn't good enough. Um, a lot of this work is going to be done in the working group, which uh, the EVA have been invited to be uh, part of to try and figure out what that reliability sort of statistics works. So there'll be a bunch of work that goes on behind the scenes there. Um, and yeah, as I said, let's attack the really poorly performing ones first. And I mean, my personal feeling is if, if you're running at 99% in January and then suddenly, you know, you've got a, a disaster that happens and you've nudged down to uh, 98.9, I think if, if if this was overly penal and really <laughs> sort of, uh, yeah, penalise people for that type of thing, I think it would be a, that that wouldn't be what I think the intentions of the legislation are. Okay. Uh, um, it's just, you know, it's just, it's a question basically like, whether it's down to public to report um, these things to somebody, or whether it's whether it's kind of like self uh, policing. No, no, no. That's. I mean, they've got to they've got to put in a uh, full report to the Secretary of State and others, um, and there will be an enforcement body uh, that is announced that will be looking at this. And again, so the data and there's the open data side, and then there's even more sort of onerous um, data that they've got to provide to the Secretary of State. And that will be figured out by the enforcement body. Okay, okay. Well, it's good to know that there's, you know, an outside body uh, looking into this. Is is this? But I think there will be, you know, and and again, there will be. There will there will still be a role for EVA and and your listeners. I mean, if if it's noticeable that the data isn't reflective of the real world, then we'll have to sort of delve into why that is. Um, so there will still be a, a role for that, but you'd hope that you can trust the data, especially if it's if you're having to write to the Secretary of State, and there is a huge fine if you falsified sort of your data or breached that. So, yeah, hopefully nobody will be nobody will be sort of fiddling the fiddling the numbers. Let's hope so. The... I would advise it. <laughs> <laughs> is 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 this ninety nine percent per site or overall on the network? The overall network average. Okay, so there's still a risk that basically, you know, a particular region is going to be pretty low on the reliability, but they have to are going to have to catch up on everybody else, basically on, on everything else yeah. to um, to to um, to make that happen. Okay, um, and again, this is you know, this is the first time that I think this sort of regulation is going in. So, yeah, and I think there is. And look, I'm I'm keen to talk to members about some of this stuff as well. I sort of on, again on Twitter over the last couple of days, um, people saying, well, this will just lead to charges being taken off. Again, my sort of steer on it is that a charger that only works 50% of the time is worse than not having a charger there in the first place. I would actively want them to take that charger and decommission that charger because there is nothing worse than turning up to a charger and it not working. That is the worst case sort of uh, scenario. So yeah, take them out if they're that unreliable. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but I'm open to that, and I'm you know keen to hear what other what members think about that. But that's my sort of that's that's my instinct. So, um, how quickly do you think this is going to uh, 
be rolled out. Um, what, what do you see happening in the next couple of months or to, towards the end of the year? Yeah, well, they've got a year to comply for the contactless stuff. Um, for some, it's difficult. And again, we supported some of the charge point uh, industry. I think there were was it the some of those, the, 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 the non-ultra rapids. Uh, they might have had to have installed them within three months and the product just isn't there yet. Um, so I think that was, I think it was sensible to push that out to a year and give people time to create the products and sort of the literal hardware for this. Uh, but we would hope that any infrastructure that goes in from now sort of you would, it would, it would make sense. You wouldn't want to be retrofitting stuff you've only just put in. So I think we'll start seeing the rollout reasonably quickly. Uh, and then again, after the year, they'll, it, it will be a necessity to do it. Yeah. I, I think the, uh, anybody who's installed the charger in the last, say two years and didn't uh, put in a, a contactless terminal I, I don't know what, what, what you're doing basically is the question because <laughs> like, um, yeah because everybody's now expecting i mean uh, when i started uh, driving the ev like eight years ago now um you know you had to collect a stack of cars to be able to charge you couldn't just turn up at the charger sometimes you could call them there was there would be a number on the charger something you could call them and be like, I didn't know, and plead with them, and they'll turn it on for free. I mean, I had one lady that uh, <laughs> basically said to me, if you have a, uh, I still remember this to this day, I think it was, uh, I can't, it was um, some sort of a Midland network, Charge Midlands or something, I can't remember what it was called. Um, something Midlands, doesn't matter, doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the uh, um, <laughs> She basically said, if I have any blank cards or cards that have expired, can I just press it on the charger and she will program the card that way? And bless her heart, it did work. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I could use, because she didn't know, like I didn't give them any payment details. That card worked for like two years and I could have used, I, I, I was I was using it uh, without any problems. Um, I did order a card. Were you from paying me. into this? Was just a bit of a sort of swiz that you had for a couple of years? Yeah. Do you yeah. want to own up to this? I don't know when the, I, the statute I, of limitations on <laughs> theft towards I, something Midlands. <laughs> I didn't sign up. Uh, to, I think it was free anyway. Um, but they wanted you to have your details, basically. And, you know, I kind of, I, I, I skipped that uh, step. But uh, that was very nice of that lady to um, to enable it. Um, <laughs> still remember that. Uh, <laughs> I probably still have that card somewhere in the, uh, it was like a purple, <laughs> blue card um, uh, from uh, something, something Midlands. Um, doesn't matter. <laughs> like I said it doesn't exist anymore. It's probably got integrated into Polar or or, or charge your. Uh, well, probably account. because people probably because they were giving away free charges and people were ripping them off for years with uh, with this new hack that we found <laughs> out about. They went bust. <laughs> I doubt it. I, I doubt <laughs> that's just me driving the you know three times a year. <laughs> it's costing them much. Yeah, I mean back in the day, you you literally just. Um, filled out the form and they would send you a card for they might charge you a tenner to send it in the post but generally there would be no charge for actually charging um sometimes they wanted you to pay like a yearly subscription or whatever but those were the days basically um but back in the day you know like they, i had a 30 kilowatt hour leaf i could do 90 something miles uh, on it um so any charger that worked or you 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 did hassle to to um to get it working even if that meant calling somebody in a in a in a center to um, the early the early pioneers of the revolution those were the days uh whereas now so i i yeah almost forgot when i started this rant so nowadays when i drive around you know back in the day when when we were early pioneers 
people helped each other. We, we used to talk to each other at the charging uh, uh, points. Um, whereas now you turn up to a charger, you're trying to smile at somebody and they're just like, in a typical English fashion, they just don't want to look at you anymore. And but I'm kind of try, I'm trying to observe. What's That's good. That means we've hit the mainstream. Exactly. Once, exactly. Once, once, yeah, people start acting English around <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, we just need to figure out how we can cue in a very English way. <laughs> I'm trying to see. So I'm trying to observe what people do, and quite often I see that uh, people just use contactless. Uh, they don't even bother with like apps or whatever, you know. And that's a good thing. And I think just people these days just expect contactless to be there. And anybody who's put a, a charging point in the last two years, like I said, without a, without one, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, yeah. uh, I've, I've got little. I've got, I haven't got much sympathy for that. No. <laughs> um, like I say, there's there's enough chargers in the UK for general public to use with the the EV ownership being at whatever percent it is now um but we only get bad press if the charger is not working for whatever reason technical or, or, or vandalism or whatever or if there's a queue uh, especially you mm-hmm. know during the the, the 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 peak season um and this this leads me out to uh, to the to the next question is like have you heard anybody saying anything negative about this legislation uh, you know the uh, the the usual anti net zero campaign uh, trolls and I don't know, mm. s- snowflakes, I, I, uh, I would like to call them, you know, they usually just uh, rock up just minutes before something goes into effect um, because that's when they think they can bully people into uh, not doing anything good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen it. Um, I haven't seen sort of the net zero or the, yeah, the the, the <laughs> tirade, the, de- the deluge of FUD that's been going on in the last two weeks you would have to be particularly vindictive to be arguing against sort of use, making charge points more easy for people to use. Yeah. And I think going back to your last point around the queuing, this is an area that we've got to get better at. I say we, the industry has to get better at because I think I'm very aware and sort of talking about you as sort of an early pioneer and then sort of you get to the early adopters and I think I'm in the early adopter stage. We are getting to the early mainstream and this is one of those areas where it can be very off-putting for people. Like, I have to have a conversation with someone to queue. I've got to know the queuing system. Sometimes, you, you know, do I have to exert myself? Do I have to, you know, what if someone just sort of bullies you out of it? These are all, these are things that when we get to the mainstream, and I think this is why these regulations are also so important, although don't cover this side of it, um, is that the experience to date is good. And as you said, most EV drivers, they've got a plan A and then they've got a plan B and sometimes have a plan C. And again, when I'm driving down to Devon, I've already got that because I've done it a few times. If I'm in a new area, I definitely have a plan B in my head. That's not really good enough for a mainstream product, which is what this will be in a few years time. And sort of, I always go back to my grandma, like, would I, will my grandma be able to do this? Does my grandma, you know, will it be a good experience? And for some people, I wouldn't recommend it on that basis um, as it stands right now. So we do need to get better at that and better sort of reasonably quickly as we're getting sort of normal people driving it, unlike, you know, abnormal people like us. I, I do agree. Um, the, the, yeah, the, these are the sort of people who ask me questions like this. You know, uh, when, you, um, when you drive EVs for a while, you kind of get, and you're capable of dealing with little problems, you kind of miss, you miss the... Uh, the questions that the mainstream public might have, right? Not everybody's as uh, uh, as clever with uh, with, uh, with yeah. apps and stuff um, as 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 some of us. Um, 
I I think you covered this already, but the the last point that I have on my on my list is uh, you know is this a law or a draft? And you know, I mean, you said that at the beginning that it's very unlikely that this will not go into the effect. Um, yeah, massive, massively, massively unlikely. So this is th- this all comes from the vehicle and automated vehicles bill, and this that that sort of if you think of a legislation, that's the legis that's the primary legislation that this hangs off of. Um, and this is sort of this is the secondary legislation, which allows ministers to say in a primary bit of work, we plan to do this. Uh, and on that point, it was about making it easier for certain things. And then we consult on it, we consult on it, we consult on it. Uh, then this comes out. So it is a reasonably smooth process. And there are thousands of SIs every year, and they all go through. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's... It's definitely, it's now definitely a thing, barring a disaster, which I just can't see happening in the next 20 days. So lastly, uh, I mean, the, the, the main reason I got you on is, what, what is the role of EVA, EVA England in this? And, you know, plug yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brag. Well, as I said, it's, this has been a campaign that we've been working on for a couple of years. And it came out of a survey that we did of our members and sort of that helped guide our campaigning work on this and the policy asks that we had. Uh, we are planning to do a new survey. It may in fact already be out by the time this podcast uh, comes out. So we yeah took the steer from the members and that has such an impact, I think, on OZEV. They could sort of say to ministers and ministers could look at sort of industry and people arguing against it. Look, it's very clear this is what EV drivers want. And that was very impactful. So having that opportunity and having an organization like us uh, coming there and sort of saying that and sort of making that voice heard, I think has been crucial. And I hope has sort of emboldened the civil servants and ministers to do this legislation because uh, it would be very easy not to. Um, so yeah, sort of very, it's been, it's a good, it was a good day. It's a good piece of work and we're very happy to do it. Um, and I think it is going to have a real impact. And again, now for us, as I said, we're going to be putting out our next survey, trying to see what EV drivers are wanting. Um, and that will form a large part of what we're campaigning for for the next year. I think it's going to be happening more quickly now, do you think? Or Because uh, obviously, you know, anything anything going through the parliament and, and legislative bodies in any country, it, it's not just the UK. Uh, uh, it takes time, right? Um, is there yeah. anything coming up that you can talk about or um... um there's not really there's mot's and there's things that sort of mot consultation coming up the big one is obviously the zev mandate which is the reason why we are seeing sort of the pushback we have uh and i was quietly amazed at just how bad the industry were at lobbying against this for the last 18 months and the frustrating thing about all of the changes and chops that happened last year uh, with sort of Boris Johnson and Liz Truss is that we should have had this set mandate already last year. And the fact that it's been delayed has led to this just brutal pylon. And it is a coordinated and paid for pylon. Um, and sort of, yeah, almost hats off to them, actually, having been so terrible for 18 months. Uh, the, the dark side got their, got, their, uh, got their act together. And I think there are some wobbles about the ZEV mandate. 
um, which would be hugely, hugely disappointing if there's any slippage on it at all. The message that sends to investors, the message that just sends to anyone is terrible because I think that ultimately we're looking at this. There are 20 to 30% of cars that are going to be electric by 2030 if this passes. And if you're telling me that this country can't install 30,000 charging points, 30,000 plugs, that we need to delay this because we're that pathetic a country that in seven years we can't overcome this massive challenge of putting 30,000, 300,000 plugs into the country, then Jesus, what the hell? We've got much bigger challenges than that. So I think it's, it's, it's as you call them, snowflakes. Like, I can't imagine what these people would have been like during their own sort of, you know, these guys love the Second World War. Christ, imagine if we had their spirits during the Second World War. I think we'd have given up and rolled over. Um, yeah, that's a bit of perspective on what this challenge is and how easy it should be to, to be achieved. Oh, that's it. I I, I, I noticed that the, uh, they always pipe up close to the deadline. So the closer we're getting to 2030, the more we're going to hear from them because they again they just they rely on on the on the public not hearing anything, um, and at, at the last minute they just uh, you know stir up the uh, the anti crowd with pathetic uh, incentives and pathetic uh, arguments. Usually it's, they were really scraping the back. I think they they were in, they really wanted to have a week's <laughs> week's worth. This is a daily mail. They really wanted to have a week's worth of of headlines about it. And they really did start scraping the barrel about, oh, God, everybody's got to have 18 or 20 charging apps. Well, firstly, you don't have to. And secondly, have you seen how many apps you need to access the news right now? Like <laughs> this <is laughs> social media, you've got like six or seven apps. I think once you've got once your head headline is, oh, God, you've got to have some apps on your phone. It's like, I think you're you're <laughs> have you, yeah, people, <laughs> think you're on have... a week. Yeah. People, people have loads of apps on their phones already. Like that's not a that's not a good argument, is it? Um, it's not front. It's not hold the front page news. No. Hey guys, some people have to have eighteen apps. Right, we're clearing the front page. <laughs> Nothing else matters. And obviously, this legislation, you know, um, mandates the uh, the contact list yeah. that kind of blows away all, all those arguments straight off. Uh, yeah. Of the bat. Um, so, a lot of this work is made possible because we've got members who pay, and I think. If you're an EV driver, um, we would love you to be a member. We don't have corporate partners. We're not paid for by the, the charge point operators or by manufacturers. Our funding has to come from our members. And I hope that the success we've had on this can show what an effective driver's association voice, uh, driver's association can do, giving your voice to government. So, yeah, if you can afford uh, to, to join us, I think, uh, it would be great to have your support because we really do rely on it. I, I mean, I, I am a member, and most people that I know are members of EVA England. Of course, uh, if you don't live in England, then you know that's a different matter. <laughs> yeah, well, I bet, I don't, you should also. There is, there is soon to be. Uh, there are some uh, people in Wales who are doing fantastic work trying to set this organisation up. Uh, so there'll be any Welsh listeners. Once the Welsh uh, or the Cymru uh, EVA is launched, EVA Scotland's been around a lot longer than us. But you know, yeah, if you're listening in Scotland, join your EVA. If you're listening in Norway and Australia, uh, Australia, Austria, France, you all have EVAs, and you should all join your national EVA too. Um, okay. Um, thank you for your time, James. <laughs>